You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I decided this season is 2008. Through a different prism, Ed. Like, I I made this... I, I'm sorry, wait, did you say prism or I don't prison? Know. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I just I just want to know if I'm looking through bars or crystals. Here you know what? Point. It's both. It's both with this team. It's both with the Ooh, 2022 prison. White Sox, okay? It, it It's some kind of variation of 2008 for me as a fan. It's 30 minutes of socks from my basement bar down here, uh, belly on up to my 9-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. It's all brought to you by... Family Waterproofing Solutions. They keep water out of your basement. They protect your foundation. Um, Ken Kirchner over there, the owner, wants to take me to a ball game. He's like, uh, you think we'll get tickets? I'm like, surprisingly, in 2022 in September, I think there's going to be plenty of good seats available, Ken. We'll find a game that we'll go hang out, all right? And uh, we'll talk a little White Sox, and uh, we'll talk about sump pumps, I'm sure, and gutter cleaning, and, uh, you know, seepage, and keeping water out of your basement. I don't think he does it. He doesn't really do that in his spare time. When I hang with Ken, he doesn't he doesn't talk shop as much with me. He does love what he does, though, and he's been doing it since 2013. It's family-owned. It's veteran-owned. 24-7, give him a call. Mention Sox in the basement. You get money off. 708-330-4466. See what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. The reason I I compare this season to 2008 is that the White Sox, remember, you know, they win the World Series in 05. They actually accomplished something, that group. That's what makes this even worse. This group hasn't done that. And then in 06, they just missed, but they were a competitive team. 07's a disaster. It's It's a lost year in White Sox lore. It's the year we don't talk about. But in 08, there's promise. And the team does a lot of what this team is doing, right? It, it, it brings you in and makes you think that they're going to win something. It dashes your hopes the next day. It was not an easy season to watch. I remember it being a season that was frustrating for me as a Sox fan. And I know that when we got into September, we were doing a lot of how many games are left, who do we got to play, how do we get ourselves in there, They have a really crucial series against the Minnesota Twins that they completely crap the bed, and it's over. Like, White Sox fans are walking out of that series saying that it's over. And then the Twins go and blow the whole thing. And the Sox slide into a tie. There's a coin flip, which, by the way, they changed the rule afterwards because of how unfair it was to Minnesota, who crushed us all year. They had the season series by many, many games over the White Sox, right? But they did a coin flip because that was the rule to figure out where it gets played, and it gets played in Chicago. They changed the rule right after this because of how unfair it was to the Minnesota Twins in 08. They actually, it was a rule-changing moment in Major League Baseball for that tie-breaking 163, and we fortunately win that game. It's an amazing game. It's a great moment. I enjoyed it, and all it really was was a path to run into a much better team in Tampa Bay that just shellacked us. And kicked us right out of the postseason. I feel that same way about this team right now. Like something could happen. Right. Well, you, you, you have to have that Doctor Strange moment where you're sitting there going through all 14 million metaverses to figure out what the one chance out of 14 million is that we're going to defeat Thanos and make the playoffs. Because here's the thing. Like the team is trying to push the tied for second place with the Twins. 
You're four games back in the standings and five back in the loss column. You've played 124 games. You have less than 40 remaining. The Guardians, they've played 122 games as we sit here. We're, we're talking before the game on Thursday night for the Friday release of Socks in the Basement. So at this point when we're talking, they've played two less games. In the loss column, they're up five. You have an uneven amount of games that both teams have played. If they play their full slate, you're really a little further back than four because that's really the best way to kind of measure it. Like, because in those two games, in those two games that they have to play, just figure they split them. They're actually five games up over you instead of four. That's the easiest way to kind of explain that, okay? So you have a deficit and you're running out of time and it feels a lot like, oh, wait, it was Kenny Williams sitting around talking about championship aspirations like Rick Hahn was with our friend uh, Scott Merkin this week in an interview. Like, oh, you know, I'm still hoping there's a parade. What? Like, and he has to say that. He's a dead man walking. I don't even think he's, he's not the general manager next year. I'm really starting to feel that way. I feel like there's all kinds of writing all over the walls that something's going to happen to him. And I think he knows that too. And what else does he have except to push all of his cards in? right? You've hit the big blind in the Texas Hold'em tournament. You, if you stick around, you're just going to get nickeled and dimed to death. So you might as well push them all in and hope that your card comes up at the very end. And that's, that's what he's doing. That's why you got Tony LaRusso now with the, uh, if we're lousy, we're lousy. He's going to talk tough because he's got nothing else at this point. He's only got pure luck, the fate of baseball, the ball bouncing the right way and a miracle right now that he's clinging to. And that's just to get into the postseason. So, I mean, it feels the same way as 08 to me because of that, because it did work out for them. It comically worked out for them. I remember laughing with my dad on the phone, like, can you believe that there's going to be a game 163? He's like, if you would have told me this a week ago, I would have told you you were crazy, right? And that's the only way that this happens is me sitting here on this show in a month going, if you would have told me, holy cow, look at this. I don't believe it, but that's what it's going to be like. If the Chris and Ed from now, as you and I are sitting here, could see ourselves from you know a week to go in the season and find out that that all of these things have aligned and come together and that Cleveland as a as a a much again a much younger team overall than the White Sox and a team that arguably is still trying to find their talent as opposed to a more veteran squad that we're dealing with on the south side of Chicago that we kind of know what a lot of these players are at this point it's possible that the Guardians could have useful errors and, and could fold under the pressure and not be able to complete the task because that happens to young teams, right? They, they Sometimes they can't close. It's also possible that the Guardians have just built up enough momentum and are having enough fun and don't know any better, and they're just going to win this thing out, and they're going to continue to stay at least even, if not hot, and are going to keep going, and they're not going to crash like the Twins did in 08. And the Twins are still here in 2022. It's entirely possible that the Sox and the Guardians could beat the tar out of each other to, to end the season. And then here comes Minnesota. They're also, they're not gone. You know, we're not talking about a two-horse race, like you said. So there's a lot of things that have to go right. The Guardians and the Twins have got to stop playing good baseball. The Sox have got to start playing good baseball. And that's going to involve probably some games where you're just getting lucky and things are going to happen that we're going to sit here and laugh about and go, there's no way that should have worked. There's no way that ball should have bounced the way it did. Or, you know, it is so lucky that that was a ground rule double instead of a home run against them because it saved two runs. 
something like that, where it's going to sit there and, and you know, and you're we're going to have to have those moments of holy cow, what is going on? Because otherwise, you're right. What does Rick Hahn have? Rick Hahn has to go to Jerry and say, I know I told you to punt a few seasons where the, the fans were not going to be happy. They were not going to want to come out to the ballpark and watch a lousy on-field product while we were rebuilding. And I know that three years into the, the core of the rebuild coming up, we were supposed to have a championship shot, and the team shot itself in the foot over and over again during the season and didn't make the playoffs. But just can you see fit to give us one more chance? He's going to have to be Hoover in Animal House at the end. You know, asking as, as, as Jerry is on top of a pile that used to be the grandstand of the parade, Jerry, do you think you could see fit to give us just one more chance, you know, and, and see if that's going to work? I, how is that going to work, though? I mean, if I'm Jerry, I'm sitting there going, why, am I, why are the fans going to come back and pay for this next year if we don't make any radical changes? If anything, you get to use, like, Animal House references, and so there's a positive. I keep trying to find the positive, Ed. That's all we have. If you're heading out to the ballpark pre-party at Cork and Carey at the park, get there afterwards, Cork and Carey at the park. They're at 33rd and Princeton in the shadow of the ballpark. You bring the kids in there. I'm bringing my little guy. It's finally Nick's turn. My my seven-year-old, my second grader, has been waiting for his turn to go to a game. And I kept waiting for a day game to pop up in my rotation with the season tickets with uh, my dad and my sister, and it never happened. So I'm like, I'm taking you a night game. So he's going, to, he's going Wednesday night against the Kansas City Royals. He's probably skipping second grade the next day because his father doesn't like to leave games early. So he's going to be out late. He's going to have a good time with the old man. All right. So we're going to sit there. We're going to watch the game beforehand, though. I'm bringing him over to Cork and Carry at the park. OK, I'm going to get him a burger. He loves hamburgers. They have an award winning menu of burgers. All right. If you want some French fries, they do them upright. They got ballpark favorites, whatever you like. Dad's going to enjoy the extensive bar with a rotation of craft beers, familiar favorites, spirits and wines. And it's just a great environment. He could sit outside. He could sit inside. There's seating everywhere. Whatever you like over there. And then it's a quick walk right over to the ballpark. You're standing right there. Okay. You're right there on the edge of the parking lots. It's a perfect location. You go into the game. You get some good food in your stomach. You have a beer beforehand. You mentally prepare yourself to go watch the White Sox probably get beat by the Royals who have handled them so well this year. I mean, the Royals look like world beaters when they play the White Sox. Get over to 33rd in Princeton before the game and after the game. Cork and carry at the park. And and that Royals thing, I, I'm saying it because it, it's true. They are not a team you can walk over. And as we look ahead to the schedule to finish out the season, first off, the Twins, I, I'm not worried about them. If this were the White Sox and the Twins, I'd be like, wow, we're going to win this division. I think the Twins are done. The Twins are 30 and 37 against teams that have a uh, a record over 500. The White Sox are that bad as well. They're 27 and 36. So they both are terrible in their own right. And I think the White Sox are just built better and they're going to be a better team down the stretch. The Sox will pass Minnesota. The Indians are what concern me because when they play teams that are over 500, they're 33 and 26. And they beat the White Sox head to head. They got a good manager. They've got good young players. And if you look at this White Sox schedule, let's just go through it real quick. Let's just take a look at what the Sox have to do down the stretch here. After they're done, and by the time you're listening to this, they're done with the Orioles. All right, fine. Now what you're going to do is you're going to get three against the Diamondbacks at home. You have to clean up on them. You have to. Because after that, you got the Royals, who you've had nothing but trouble with. Then you got the Twins. The Mariners, they're a good team. The A's are terrible. That'll be your last break. 
You're going to get A's and Rockies in the middle of the month. That'll be, you might get hope there, White Sox fans. Then the Guardians, one game, it's a makeup game, three against the Tigers, a division rival. Then you get the Guardians, the Tigers, the Twins, the Padres, the Twins at the end. So in reality, you only have four games against the, the Guardians, and you're trailing them by five in the loss column. I don't see you in control of your own destiny anymore at this point, looking at your schedule. And I see a lot of teams that you've had a hard time with this year or are very good teams. And I see it. And I see your team not playing well against teams that have winning records. They have their work cut out for them. Well, and like you said, you want to be in control of your destiny, right? So let's say that it was flopped and you're kind of hanging in second place with the Guardians and the Twins are the team you're looking to catch. Having nine games against them, you sit there and go, you know what? The Sox are going to have to take care of business, not in a five and four kind of a way, but in like a seven and two kind of a way. And they can they can do this. You know, they can they can bring themselves back into the lead by virtue of having games against the, the division leader. But they don't. Four games is not enough. Not when you're five back in the loss column, which it, which means you're relying on all the teams that the Guardians are playing to stack up against them better than the teams that you're playing can stack up against you. And there's a lot of reason for hope there. I mean, the Tigers are not a team that is going anywhere this year. But again, division rival and the Sox, you know, sometimes they they just don't handle their division rivals the way they should. Look at the Royals. They should be beating the Royals every single time out. Everybody should be beating the Royals every single time out. Heck, if the Royals played themselves in an intra-squad, somehow they both sides would lose. That's the way the Royals have been this year, except against the White Sox, where the Sox can't seem to get past them. So what you're hoping on there, too, is that a team like the Padres is going to fall completely apart, and by the end of the season, they're going to be playing for nothing, and they're not going to have anything to go for. Or that the Twins maybe have fallen so far behind that all they have on their mind is revenge and and keeping the Sox out of it, which may not be enough for them to do it. And they might be turning to younger players, and they might be turning to guys that frankly don't have it, but they're trying to see what, what they've got in some, you know, some of these situations. So you're hoping upon hope for the teams on your schedule outside of the Guardians to be in much worse shape than you are as the White Sox. And you're hoping then that the Guardians somehow cannot get past their own schedule. And that's a lot of hope. That's a, that's like, it's a little too much to bank on and sit there and say, realistically, We still have a shot. All we have to do is X, Y, Z. Here's the really crazy thing about the schedule, though, when I look at the Cleveland Guardians. We're talking about Sox might have some easy teams that they're going to face. They can probably beat. They're going to be playing the Angels. That's not a a very good team. Uh, The Sox had some trouble against the Rangers, but most of baseball doesn't. The Guardians won't have trouble against the Rangers down the stretch at the end. And then six games at the end. Six games games at the end because of all the reschedules the Cleveland Guardians will play six in a row at home against the Kansas City Royals oh my gosh six in a row people might not be aware of this they had the last weekend already scheduled with Kansas City and because of the lockout The game from the 31st of March, the 2nd of April, and the 3rd of April are on the 3rd, the 4th, and the 5th of October. So they're going to play six in a row against a team that's done for the year. I'm sorry. I feel like the Indians, again, it's back to 08. They would have to completely fall apart, right? 
they would have to all of a sudden like the Royals just go on a tear. Like we're going to ruin it for the, uh, the guardians. That's what we're going to do. We're going to ruin it. But I don't think that's what the mentality is going to be. I think at the very end of that season, I, I think that the, the guardians should have a very easy time picking up five out of six there against the Royals and putting the socks out of their misery, even if they're still in it at that point. Well, I, I, I think that the Royals, that's exactly all the Royals are going to be able to look at is sit there and go, let's ruin somebody else's week. You know, if we got to be here in Cleveland, let's ruin the Guardians week at least too. I think that the Royals are, are they're going to be done. But the thing with a team like the Royals too is that there's a lot of guys right now that are playing for the Royals that are basically playing to prove that they are what belongs in the major leagues going forward. So that's the only hope that Sox fans have in the Guardians schedule is that familiarity breeds contempt and that the Guardians would sit there and look at it and go, ah, we're finishing up against the Royals, we can coast, and then they get ambushed for four games. Yeah, but, and, but we're, in, we're in San Diego for three games, and then we got to come back from the West Coast to face the Twins for the next three in that sixth game. So they're going to have six in a row sitting at home against the Royals while you're going against the Padres in San Diego and the Twins. Again, the only thing that the Sox can control is whether or not that they win they win any of these ball games. And I think, you know, if you're looking for despair and gloom and doom, fact is is that how many times have we said on this show or how many times has anybody said, "Well, this is it. This is the stretch where they can turn it around and they can do it." There's no more this is it. It's, it's that was that and now you're on to miracle time. So all they can do is just keep winning ball games, but every time we've said this is it, they got to start winning these games. They haven't done it, really. You know, the, the the Astros series was the one glimmer of hope. So you're beyond glimmer of hope time. It's 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 either it's Yoda time, right? It's do or do not. There is no more try. And the Sox have not shown us that they can do on a consistent basis that they can win these games when they really need to, as evidenced by getting nailed by the Royals in, in the one game makeup game there where you're in a stretch where you can't, you can't do that. You can't punt a game and have, you know, and have that loss on your, on your books in any way, shape or form. Socks in the basement listeners do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Who are the core players in your mind going in the next year that you want to continue to see in a White Sox uniform? Now, right now, as I say that, there's a White Sox fan screaming somewhere, we're not getting rid of any of these guys. I love them. I got all their jerseys. But something needs to change. Unless you believe, and this, is, this isn't as, a crack, as much of a crackpot theory as, it, as some may think, that the White Sox are actually a much better team that has been trained by their manager and the philosophy of the team ever since what happened against 
the Astros to focus on hitting singles instead of hitting for power, to hit for average, and they they came up with a philosophy that would probably have won them the series against the Astros, but it's not good for 162. And they went overboard trying to figure out how do we change this team to not get beat like they got beat in the Houston Astros series, but unfortunately reshape the team's mentality to where you're just single, 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 guys left all over the bases, right? I mean, I think the Sox are right up at the top, if not at the top, in the amount of hits by a team. We don't feel like that, though, do we? Because we have no power. We don't put the ball in the stands. So we changed our philosophy a little bit because we didn't. We think that it would have been beneficial to us to be able to take the ball to any part of the field and single hit the Astros to death, but you're not playing the Astros in the playoffs for 162 games and it didn't work out. So if you believe that and it's just a change in philosophy, then maybe you don't think anybody should be moved. But let's say Oh, but but that's that's not true though. I here's here's the problem with that. If if you buy into that whole situation where somebody like Andrew Vaughn, for example, you think that there's been a shift in his approach or you're looking at Gavin Sheets and saying there's a shift in his approach where they're not swinging for the fences, they're not swinging for power, they're swinging for average. First of all, I don't think that it's fair on some of these guys to pin that because I think you look at Vaughn in particular, and to get your original question, who are the core guys, Vaughn is is kind of at the top of my list. This is not a guy that was necessarily sold to us as being a three true outcomes guy or that he was going to come up and be a 40 home run guy. This was a guy that was sold to us as he was going to be a complete hitter. And last year in his rookie season, he was a bit overmatched at times. And he also wasn't really used when Tony should have used him. So I think that something like that, you sit there and go, will Vaughn ever show up as a guy who hits for a lot of home runs? And the answer is maybe, but he's also only in the second year and really in, in very few years of professional baseball as it happens. So I think that there's probably, there could be some of that. But I also think that what you need and the point of it was, and this is where you hope that Sox management didn't do this, where they started to change the guys they had. The whole point of the exercise was to sit there and go, don't we need somebody like Scott Pesednik, okay, who was very much lacking on the team last year? Don't we need a table setter who's not necessarily a power guy? I know we had Tim Anderson. I know what TA means as far as batting average and on-base percentage. But don't we need some more guys like that? Don't you need the guys that are a little bit more situational hitter type of guys? And then to set up the power guys, you need a more balanced lineup. So core guys, Vaughn is absolutely one of them because Vaughn might be one of the best hitters on the team, period, end, in every way, shape, or form measurable. Uh, Robert, I don't think you can question his talent. I think you can question whether or not he can stay on the field. Same thing with Aloy Jimenez. Although Aloy, you know, I'm starting to question, we heard when he hurt his chest last year, Power may be an issue for him going forward. He may not recover to the same extent. There might be something to that. No, you know, here's the thing, though. Think about this. He's got 49 games for the White Sox and seven home runs. Jose Abreu has 122, and he's only doubled that. If you give him the amount of games of Jose Abreu, he's the team leader in home runs on this team. Right now, he's probably the best power hitter you have on your team. I mean, think about this, folks. You have 14 home runs from Abreu, 12 from Robert, and 13 from Vaughn, and nobody else is in double digits, and it's the end of August. Like, that should make you want to puke. Like, there's a real problem. I think what this team needs to do is what they need to address is we can extrapolate out Aloy's numbers, okay? Um, 
you know, and, and I would I would say giving him the benefit of the doubt, we need to see him play a full season and not spend a ton of time on the shelf for us to really evaluate what he is. Robert, I expected more home runs out of. Abreu, I'm actually disappointed in his home run total. I think that there's questions. I think that's one of the questions that we'll have in the offseason about Jose Abreu coming back and whether or not he's something going forward. But really, I, I think when you get outside of Aloy, Robert, and Vaughn, I don't know that there's anybody else that's sitting there on the team. There are guys that I like, and there are guys that I would absolutely be fine with them keeping around. But I don't know beyond those three in terms of position players that there's anybody else that I would sit there and go, you know what, for the right guy, for the right price, we could move on. Here, let me ask you a stumper then. Yohan Moncada and his stellar defense, and we've seen examples of it just in the last few days. The guy can play third base, right? Would you rather have his stellar defense but have to take his 192 batting average and his, what does he have here, seven home runs over 79 games, 322 plate appearances uh, for a slugging of 308. He's 308, he's slugging, with a 572 OPS. Or would you take the downgrade, accept the fact that you're only going to get basic defense and take Jake Berger, and his eight home runs over only 183 plate appearances, right? So bigger power, a 761 OPS, hitting 250, but at least he's slugging 458. You need power. Looking at this team right now and looking into the future, which one of those two guys, and you know what the answer should be, somebody else on another team. That's really what the answer should be, right? I was going to say, I, is option three or death? Because I what I really want is I want better defense than Jake. And this is no slight to Jake Berger, but I want better defense than what he showed. He he was there were times that he just scared me. Sometimes. He was bad you know, at he, it. I like him. He was a fun guy. He was on the show. Really nice dude. His his uh, his new wife came on to talk about their engagement. Look, I understand. I get it. There are people out there right now who are trying to defend people. Like if you've had Rick Hahn on your show, you're telling everybody it's not Hahn's fault, right? If, if, you, if you've got a connection to somebody in the organization or that somebody that talks to you, it's very hard for you to badmouth that person. It's hard for me because Jake's been so nice to come on this show. But I think Jake would tell you he played some bad defense. And unless that all of a sudden magically got better, then you would have to look at him as subpar defender or a really good defender who can't hit. And neither one of them really should be the option. But just for the exercise, just for the exercise, which type of player would you like more? The guy that brings more power on a team that has no power whatsoever, but he's going to make a mistake, but he's going to add a jolt to your team, or the guy that's going to make the defensive play and then come up and do nothing. As bad as Jake Berger's defense was, his bad defense wasn't nearly as big of a problem as Yohan Moncada hitting below the Mendoza line with a paltry slugging percentage. I mean, this is his his offensive numbers are not acceptable at this point in the season for a major league baseball player to be considered an everyday regular player in spite of the stellar defense. I I I'm I'm not questioning the man's defense, but he's offensively he's he's not a replacement level baseball player, and that's what you're looking for, right? Like if Jake Berger's defense is replacement level and his offense, it's an easy choice. So the question becomes: Can the rest of the lineup support? a guy who is so far below average offensively that you can take the stellar defense and just and work that out. It's the Ozzie Guillen thing, okay, where 
on the teams where Ozzy was playing, his offense, and this isn't a slight to Ozzy again, but his offense, by his own admission, was not fantastic. No, he'll say that. So, yeah. So, you know, could you afford Ozzy's bat? Because at shortstop, there were very, very few who would take the field at shortstop that were better than Ozzy was in his prime. And the answer was, well, yeah, because they built those teams around guys like Frank Thomas, Robin Ventura. They built, you know, they had offense to spare. So in the nine hole, you can have a guy who could maybe drop down a bunt for you, run into one every once in a while for a double, but you knew you were getting that awesome defense at shortstop. They could afford it. Teams do this with catchers a lot, too, where the catcher is going to be subpar offensively, but they're going to be able to handle the pitching staff, throw guys out. So it, it, it can happen. I would say that third base is an offensive position, though. So I can't – it's hard to do it in a vacuum, but I would say my leaning would be towards taking less than stellar defense, even defense that is suspect or below par, and going with the offensive player because I would have a, a better time believing at this point that Jake Berger is going to show up as a better defensive third baseman in 2023 than believing that Yohan Moncada – will show up and be a 300 hitter and hit 25 home runs. I agree with you. I agree with you on that. I also uh, want to go back to the points you're saying that, look, you have to, if you're going to be bad at one thing, you really have to make it up with the other thing. And that it, the stellar defense doesn't make up for how bad the offense is. It's the same thing with Tim Anderson, right? Like TA, we've said that now for years. When TA is doing everything that he did in the 2020 and 2021 season, and he's bringing power, and he's hitting ridiculously high, right? Where he's like hitting like 330, and he's challenging for a batting title. It makes up for the defensive miscues. But as it lowers, the more it lowers, the more frustrating a player he becomes in any in any fan's eyes. You'll start seeing fans who get annoyed with him because they'll be like, well, he's only hitting this. He's not, he's not a superstar hitter anymore, so now the defensive miscues bother me because he, he's less apt to make up for them game the game. And that's the whole thing. Some of these guys do one thing really well. And I think it's like that in all baseball, on any baseball team. You got guys that are really good at one thing and may not be very good at another. It comes down to balance. And again, this falls back on the general manager and building the team. This team did not pan out the way that he he wanted it to pan out. Okay. And he might be a nice guy and people might like him, but I think the writing's on the wall for Rick Hahn. I, I hear his quotes and I hear a guy that is taking his cards and pushing them in and saying, we still have championship aspirations and still believe in this team because he has to at this point. He has to believe in them at this point. Okay. But if you don't think it's desperation time within the White Sox organization, take a look at the lineup on Thursday night where you're leading off Andrew Vaughn batting sheets second before Robert and Abreu and Jimenez. Desperation is set in. It's time to pull every lever. Time to roll every dice combination at this point because you're falling off. And there's a lot of things that need to be fixed this offseason with this team. Even if they somehow slip into the postseason, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. I don't know if the guy who's actually been fixing them the last couple of years deserves another year to do it. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.